Welcome to Soaring the Sky, Glider Pilots Podcast. Hello, my name is Chuck. This is episode 32. This episode is brought to you by Arizona Soaring Incorporated, the nation's largest provider of professional glider training. Since 1969, they provided training from initial private through CFI Glider and entry level through advanced aerobatics. Open year-round, seven days a week. More information is available at azsoaring.com. On today's podcast, Andreas Montefredi joins us from the Denmark countryside. He started flying a couple years ago and just a few weeks ago received his glider private pilot's license. Andreas has a bachelor degree in visual storytelling and has been working as an independent artist since 2009. When not flying or working on his artwork, he enjoys time with his wife and three children. Join us now as we hear Andreas' story on Soaring the Sky. Andreas, Freddy, welcome to Soaring the Sky. So great to have you. Thank you very much, Jack. Where am I reaching you today? You are reaching me uh, at home in my living room, my very quiet living room. My wife and my kids, they're all sleeping upstairs. My dog is here at my feet, listening in. It's dark outside. It's beginning of the fall here in Denmark, so uh, it's getting cold again. And gliding season is actually finishing off right now. So we have about maybe a month, two months if we're lucky. Oh, wow. Mostly like schooling, not so much cross country. But uh, When did your aviation adventure get started? As most people, as a like child, I always loved aviation and planes and I would go to air shows and I would build them. I kid building as well. But um, where I grew up, I grew up in the outskirts of Copenhagen, which is the capital of, of Denmark. And uh, the only place that you could really go to see planes was at this place called uh, Flurgrillen, which is like an aviation grill right next to the, to the biggest airport there. And you could see the Boeings and the Airbuses take off and landing. But, you know, there was no gliders whatsoever. The, the whole airspace is so crowded. So I never saw gliders and they never really popped up anywhere. But uh, I always loved planes. But when I was little, I really started like a lot. I couldn't, I basically couldn't really talk. It was all just so pursuing a career in aviation was like, not really something that uh, I think I pretty quickly made an unconscious decision to do something else. And I was happy about drawing and doing things like that. So I just naturally uh, went that way. And uh, and then I just left the whole flying thing. I might have buried it. <laughs> and then years passed and I moved from Copenhagen to the other side of the country, which is a lot more open and a lot more rural. Uh, to study drawing and then I meet my beautiful wife and we have uh, we have kids three kids and then two years ago my oldest son and he's seven at that time he picks up this uh, this small surfboard at a secondhand store and it's about the same time of a year as it is now it's getting cold but he just really wants to go test out that surfboard and we live right next to uh, a very big, or uh, in like Denmark, this is a, a really big lake. But you have to go to the northern end of the lake to actually go swimming. 
because it's a lot more shallow up there. And as we're there, testing it out, this uh, little red airplane, it just keeps passing over us. And I think it probably passes over us maybe seven or eight times. And uh, I get this feeling, you know, you sometimes get this feeling that the universe is trying to talk to you. You know this? Right. Yeah, exactly. So I, I Google it and I check out airfields, you know, and I locate it. And I like drive out there, and it's in the afternoon. And uh, as I see these red and you know, like white um, white markers and the little the little um, the little windbag, like turn 12 again. Uh, and then as I step onto the airfield, this guy comes over and like asks me straightforward. He says uh, uh, he asked me, uh, so what do you want? And then this this thing that was like I. I feel this thing coming up from the bottom, like this little voice that's slowly growing. And I just hear myself saying, um, uh, I would like to fly. And uh, just as I said this, this glider comes in and he says, oh, then you should go talk to this guy and he'll take you up. And uh, the next thing I know, I'm flying this thing and uh, I get really sick. (laughs) But I just, uh, the moment that I get back down, I just, go and I sign this uh, my like schooling papers because I I just know that this even though I'm sick to my stomach it still feels right so uh, so yeah that's two years ago now and I just got my gliders license like a week ago congratulations and thank you very much so now the you know, real learning starts so you go to the airport and just kind of by chance a glider comes in and that's what steers you towards soaring rather than towards powered right yeah, because I never thought about soaring as something uh, that you could do. You know, aviation also, it's, from what I could tell, expensive. And uh, I've, started, uh, I've started drawing and I'm, I'm like, doing arts. And, you know, uh, there's not really a whole lot of money in arts. <laughs> so, yeah, this, this person just tells me that, you know, you can do this and it doesn't cost a whole lot. And... Yeah, it just uh, seems very simple and very straightforward. Tell me about the glider that you first flew then, and I guess what you're flying now. The first one that I flew was uh, a twin Astia, and I I flew that for the first year, but then we actually had the accident at the glider club where the tow plane we use uh, we use arrow tow, and the tow plane lost energy power or lost uh, like engine engine power right after takeoff and uh, they had to uh, release and then the only place that they could put it down was on a small lake uh, right off the end of the air airfield it, it basically just turned into a submarine and uh, we couldn't fly that so uh, after that, we borrowed a whole lot of planes, and I got to fly. I think it's called a K7. It had like a, an eagle's beak painted on it, and feathers like with like spray cans. Um, and uh, yeah, we just we borrowed something called a Pukas. It's a Polish aerobatic glider, uh, and that's the plane I went solo on. We had a lot of uh, different planes, and it was really really interesting schooling on a lot of different planes because uh, you really get to know 
how each individual plane handles. So when I then uh, went solo and I I had to fly a single seater, I got to fly the ASW-19. And it's just, I sometimes think about you know, like schooling planes when you have two seats. It feels like a canoe. It's like a place that you crawl into. But then that first feeling of flying in a single seater is, is like a kayak. Almost, you kind of strap it on, and the wings they come right out of your shoulders. Uh, yeah, definitely becomes a part of you. Yeah, yeah. I remember thinking that all of my landings were extremely rough after I started flying single seaters, but it's just because you feel everything so much better that you know you feel you really feel that rumbling of the plane when it touches down. Yeah, and even like when you're riding a thermal. You feel the thermal definitely stronger in single-seater, I think. Yeah, definitely. And when you're first learning this, I was really tense. And you're after you've been flying for one hour, my whole body was just so sore. And I wasn't feeling anything at all. You know, I wasn't noticing thermals or little like changes. But then slowly, as I flew more and more, I also loosened up. And then you really start feeling it. And now I just... I sometimes completely turn the vario off and I just try to fly it by feel because you can get so caught up in listening to that little that little noise going up and down. Yeah, the you know, if you're just listening to the plane, it just tells you everything that you need to know more or less, you know. And then you just use it as to check that you're still going up like an elevator that that you still feel that motion. Now, I'm not really familiar with the train in, in your area, uh, Denmark. Could you tell me about that and what type of flying you do? I mean, Denmark, Denmark with, if the, what do you call, water levels go up, Denmark will be the first country in the Nordic area to disappear. It's just, a, it's just flat, you know, more or less. It's just like flat ground everywhere. So it's only thermal soaring. Sometimes uh, people go out to the coast because we have a lot of coastline. And when you're at 1,500 meters, um, you can can see pretty much from one end of the country to the other. Uh, Like Denmark is a a very small country. But uh, people go and they fly ridges out next to the the ocean. I haven't uh, I haven't seen that yet, but uh, they they go out and they fly in these old veteran gliders, and uh, it's supposed to be really beautiful flying in the in the sunset with the ocean on the right side. And then... that does sound absolutely beautiful. But for the most part, you're doing thermal soaring where you are. Yeah, this is this is the only more or less the only uh, the only soaring that we do. Yeah, there's that, and then there's ridge lift, but mostly. Mostly thermal soaring. What has been one of your most interesting flights out of the couple of years that you've been flying? What kind of sticks out in your mind? I'm so new in this that uh, I haven't really had any of those uh, cross-country flights yet. This is uh, something that I'm looking forward to. So I have to say that my solo flight was uh, the most memorable flight. Almost everyone that I've talked to, they they all mentioned this solo flight as their most special memorable experience this this feeling of being all alone flying a plane uh, was something very special and uh, i also uh, you know there one girl from our glider club she's 16 and she went solo a few months after me 
And it was so amazing to see her stepping into the glider, being 16 years old. And then when she landed uh, and walked out of the glider, she was like four years older. You really feel that change happening. It's a really beautiful thing. It is. It definitely gives you a lot more confidence once you go through that. It's, it is amazing how that happens. Do you remember your, your first uh, time flying alone? Absolutely, yes. It is one of my, one of my favorite flights. Were you, uh, were you also making sounds in the cockpit, like whistling? I was like whistling. I've heard other people do that too. Because it, it's so quiet, there's, no, there's nobody talking to you in the back. Well, I was making a lot of sounds when I came in to land because I was actually hollering. I was so excited. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think everybody heard me that day that was anywhere near the runway because, yeah, I was making a lot of noise. I, w- I was just pumped up. I, w- I was super excited. It's a, it's a very spiritual thing. So, so that's, that's, that's definitely so far my, my most memorable flight. Now, you're telling me, you know, you're an artist, but you have found a way to bring soaring and creativity together. Can you tell me about that and what you've done with that? Yeah, because uh, uh, I also uh, I also teach drawing. So I'm very often in a situation where where I'm talking about the work that I do, and that can sometimes be a good thing or a bad thing, but it does start a certain kind of uh, reflection. And because I started learning how to fly gliders. It, uh, I remember teaching and actually noticing that I was talking more about gliding than about drawing, but the students were still following. So there was, I was noticing that there were some really strong similarities be, between gliding and then doing any kind of creative work. And, and even just, yeah, I think it goes beyond drawing and and being you know like creative in that in that old sense of the word like for instance i was learning how to do arrow toes and when i was first starting out i was just following that toe plane up and down and if it moved up i moved up the instant that i saw it going up and when it went down i just followed it down so naturally i was just you know all over the Place and it was really hard for me to actually just uh, fly this thing. And uh, the moment that I that I kind of pulled back and allowed that toe plane to go up and down and then just make the small uh, adjustments, that's when things really started to like happen. And I really felt that I was learning it. And I was noticing as I was learning that, I was teaching young people uh, how to like draw something. And you also go up and down, you know, because it's either going good or it's going bad. And when you're first starting out, you're really thrown around by your own successes and failures. And it's really hard to remain calm. And I was trying to, uh, I was actually telling uh, students that they should, if they could find a place 30 meters behind the work that they were doing and just try to register what they were doing. You be, become a lot more patient with your work. So this was this was one of the first things, and uh, where I was starting to figure out that there were some kind of connections happening there. And then coming home and with 
three small children, uh, they also go up and down. And I realized that that same, that same patience and that same uh, feeling of noticing something and then just making small adjustments. It also worked with kids, you know. <laughs> so, Absolutely. Uh, so, so there's uh, there's this this thing that happens when you are when you're so absorbed in something uh, that it just it starts wearing off on a lot of other aspects in your life. And I think gliding for me was very like a lot of things really started to take shape. How do you feel someone could be a better and safer pilot? I think uh, I think flying regularly on a regular basis. I think that's that's probably what I try to do in order to become a safe pilot. There's all the all the things that you have to do. You have to keep your landing speed, and you have to uh, you know all these all these things that we all know. But uh, it can sometimes be hard to flying on a regular basis. You know, there's so much other stuff. So so just going even on days where the weather might not be perfect for flying, but just going there to to keep uh, your chops up, if you say. Yeah, you know, even if you're, I call them sled rides, other people call them that too, but, you know, even if you're just, yeah, you're just going up and you don't find any lift and you just come back down, you're still getting the practice of doing the, the flying information as you're going up with the tow plane and then you're getting some practice going into the pattern and landing. So you're still getting all that to keep you up to where you should be. Yeah, exactly. We have uh, we have something called a uh, it's called a training barometer. It's like a, a ba- it's it's like a small you have a you have a you have green zone, yellow zone and you have red zone. And then you uh, figure out how many hours that you've been flying and how many takeoffs that you've had. And then that number shows you where in that training state that that you are. Do you know this? No, but I think it's a great idea. Yeah, um, because there's a, a difference between being experienced and um, and having a like regular practice routine happening. You could you you could be a pilot with ten years of flying, but if you don't fly on a regular basis, you'll still be in that red zone, needing to have more flights within. I think you have to put the numbers together from the last three months. So that's that's how you put in these numbers. Uh, now, I know that, like at my club, they do definitely check your logbook and they want to know the last time you flew and, you know, how many times you've been flying in the past two, three months. They definitely look at that. Yeah. How do you stay safe, John? How do I stay safe? I mean, I definitely like to fly as much as I can, like you said. Um, definitely go through all your checklists and obviously don't forget any of that. And when you're in the air, just don't rush anything, you know, um, don't stay up when you know that you're, it's not the greatest day and you're hitting more sink than you are lift, you know, don't just, just go home, go land, you know, don't, there's always another day. You don't have to push the envelope because that, that's not going to get you anywhere. It's probably going to get you hurt. So that's, I I stay on the cautious side of my flying. I just think it's safer that way. Yeah, that's a good way to go. Where do you find Andreas in the future? What do you want to do with soaring? Where do you want to go from here? <laughs> Definitely cross-country flying. Because I think there's some uh, 
there are some really interesting things to be learned from that. Uh, and also with the stuff that I mentioned earlier, um, you really, uh, I think that uh, you really have to uh, be strong mentally. This is my, uh, when I see the guys coming home from cross cross country flights, it's, there's a, it takes a special kind of character to go out there and to uh, go for that next cloud, even when you're flying far away from, from when you are outside of gliding distance, as you say. It definitely pushes you, you know, and like you said, you're out there and you're pushing yourself, not knowing if you're going to find that next cloud. But, you know, of course, looking around, making sure you have a good place to land. But it's it's definitely a journey that you have to have trust in yourself. It's really putting yourself out there and it definitely takes a certain kind of person to do that. Some people fly their whole life and don't really push themselves to do cross country. So it takes a certain individual for sure. Yeah, so um, I think this is uh, something that uh, I'm looking very much forward to. And uh, even on, this, on the small flights that I've had, because uh, I was allowed to go still within gliding distance, but uh, these last three flights that I had, I tried to go just a little bit further than I would normally do. And on the first two days, it was fine. But then on the third day, I all of a sudden I hit an area of some serious sink and I just hadn't seen that coming and my heart started pounding and and I I flew fast through that sinking area and and uh, I was home back at the airfield with 500 meters uh, to like spare so there was I was in no way like pushing it but in that moment I really felt I was something happened there and uh, yeah so that I'm I'm looking forward to to what that has to offer. Uh, and then flying with passengers also. This is something that I would really like to do, to share it with friends and family. So th- those are the two things. Definitely some things to look forward to. Andres, is there anywhere we can find your artwork? Yeah, I try to keep my Instagram profile updated. It's a nice place to share also because uh, a lot of the... People that I know also share their work on on Instagram. So, um, I mean, we're a lot of people doing different things all over the world. And I think Instagram, you get this nice mixture of seeing what people are working on at the moment, but you also get an insight into their everyday lives and you get a small glimpse of their desk or their door. What, you, what is your Instagram? It's just my full name spelled in one word. So it's Andreas Montefredi? Yes, that's the one. Okay. All right. I'll make sure I put that in the show link so they can check out some of your artwork. That would be that would be great. I know a lot of people would like appreciate seeing that. Yeah, for the like curious people. You had uh, a person in the show, I don't know when it was, but he took photographs with like a like a three sixty degree camera. Uh, and one of the photographs is him eating a banana in the cockpit. And the whole glider is just—it looks like a small UFO. It's a really oh, I think that was uh, the episode called "Soaring the Lens of a Glider Pilot." I think exactly. that was Joe Capra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Joe does a lot of that work, and and he has he has some really cool stuff on his Instagram. Yeah. And for those for those that haven't heard that episode yet, 
definitely check that out. Yeah, it's soaring through the lens of a glider pilot. Amazing, yeah. Andreas, I greatly appreciate you staying up late and doing this. I know that our time difference here is large, and I know, like I said, you were up late, and I greatly appreciate you listening to the podcast and being a guest because, you know, without you all, I wouldn't really be doing this. So it's, it's, I'm grateful for that and happy you all are willing to do these podcasts. And uh, once again, thank you for doing these podcasts. It's really valuable. Absolutely. And like we were speaking earlier, you know, it's it's so cool to catch up with people all over the world and be able to connect with them and share our soaring stories and share the things that we've run into and maybe to help other people, you know, so they don't run into those things when you're flying. Just to be safer pilots, better pilots, and just have a large community that we can share all this. Yeah, it matters a lot. Andreas, have a good night. Thanks again, and keep in touch. I'd like to see what you're doing. Thank you, Chuck. Thank you. And thank you for listening to another great guest here with us on Soaring the Sky. Our community is growing. I appreciate all of your positive feedback. Recently, we reached 15,000 plays. You're all over the globe listening, and I greatly appreciate you taking your time to do that. I know there's a lot of podcasts out there, and for you to listen to Soaring the Sky means a lot to me. So thank you for spreading the word of soaring. I'd love to hear from you if you want to drop me a line. It's chuck at soaringthesky.com. If you're a glider pilot and you want to share your adventures soaring the sky, I'd love to talk to you. Once again, chuck at soaringthesky.com. Drop me a line. Get you on the podcast. We also have a Facebook group now, which a lot of you join. If you want to do that, you can just jump on Facebook. It's Soaring the Sky Podcast. And Instagram, we're on there as well, also under Soaring the Sky Podcast. And if you're new to soaring and you want to know where you can get your first glider flight, a great help would be ssa.org. They're going to give you all the local soaring clubs in your area, so you can check out the best place for you to go and catch a ride. There's also lots of good information on there as well. They have webinars, which are very helpful. So check that out, ssa.org. We hope you join us again right here for another great guest on Soaring the Sky.